there was a subject that uh, I've been thinking about, and, and probably because I've had several conversations with people in the congregation uh, over the past few weeks. So there's um, probably a number of people who think, oh, this is about me. Well, probably about you and a few other people. And so I thought we'd just have a conversation today about comforting others. Um, and uh, not a ton of prep going, I really want to have a conversation. I've got some thoughts, some direction I want to go. But uh, really, it's just a kind of conversation. I know this is on a lot of people's hearts and minds. Uh, and so I guess my first, oh, let's pray. Let's do that. Um, okay. Our gracious God, we do thank you for the chance to to talk and to think about your word, your commands, and uh, what you call us to do in the body. And we pray that you would open our hearts and minds, and that you would calm our fears, and that you would bless bless this time together uh, today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I guess my first question is this. Does the Bible command us to comfort others? And if so, where? Okay, which says, all right, thank you. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Comfort others with the comfort with which God comforted you. Good, okay. Other places? Or? Mm. Good, Isaiah, comfort ye, comfort ye, yeah. And in a sense, that's actually a statement of comfort, right? Not just... Uh, a command for us to comfort others, but yeah, meant to be uh, comfort to you, right? Good. It's funny, Second Corinthians opens with that, and, and listen towards the end what it says. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. That's a good place. Others? I like what Second Thessalonians says, comfort the faint-hearted, or encourage the faint-hearted, right? Um, one of the sharpest rebukes in Scripture is a failure to do that. Uh, when the prophet Ezekiel is sent to the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, and basically being told why they are about to be sent into exile... He says this, chapter 34. Chapter, Ezekiel chapter 34 has to be one of the scariest chapters in the Bible. Yeah. Um, the weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So there's... There's an implicit command by a rebuke for failing to do it, right? You have not uh, hurt, bound up the injured. So in other words, I think it's fair to say this. The Bible clearly commands us to encourage the downtrodden, to comfort the hurting. Is, can we all agree on that? Okay. <laughs> so what keeps us from it? Fear. Fear of what? That they'll take what you're saying the wrong way or you'll fumble over the things that you say and not come out exactly the way you meant it. Fear of doing it badly. 
Yeah. Saying the wrong thing, saying the right thing the wrong way. Not saying it right. Okay, good. Absolutely. Thanks, Gary. Fear. Pride and hypocrisy. Devin, can you fill that in a little bit? No. <laughs> just take it, Pastor, and be quiet. Okay, I got it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it's kind of fear too, right? I mean, different kinds, but, uh, or um, sometimes selfishness, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Butchie, you had your hand up? Because it's costly? Okay. Good. And you said it's costly for your time, your, your effort, or your resources, whatever that happens to be, whether it's time or money or talents. Yeah, okay. Time, money, talents, energy. Yeah, okay, good. That you were selfish with those. Katie? Oh, it is so uncomfortable to meet people in their suffering, isn't it? You have to, yes. Because you. You can't you can't go comfort somebody, and, and without giving up comfort to do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is uncomfortable. Ironic, right? Comfort is uncomfortable, right? Hmm. Interesting. Dave. Sometimes we tend to be more focused on our own troubles than looking for people who are troubled in some way. Okay, so. We, are you saying sometimes we're oblivious to other people's needs because we're so self-centered? Never. Dave, I have no idea who you're talking about. See me afterwards. Um, yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Right. Who am I, without having gone through the same thing or something, or what I perceive of equal, right, right devastation? Ha- we ran into something this week about that because the people that we knew that lost their homes uh, to that flooding up in mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the in the in the big picture of things, by, with my distance from that place, I thought, you know, people are saying. Okay. Well, you start talking about the sovereignty of God and how that happens to people. Boy, does that sound like it. Well, sure. And you don't want to hurt people with that kind of information, and maybe that's all that you... That's the perspective you have, is that, you know, I've been through hard things, but I saw that God was in those things, and how to say that right so that it doesn't come across as just plain unsympathetic. Yes, right, sounding unsympathetic, something like that, absolutely. Um so that people end up like, and that's that's 
that's the comment, right? And and I think, you know, if I put all these things together, they're the two things that keep me, right? It's uncomfortable. I don't like pain. I don't like to be around it. I don't like to endure it. Um, And fear, uh, I don't know what to say. And I hear that a lot. I wouldn't know what to say. And usually, what do we mean by that? What do we assume? Like, when I say, I don't know what to say, what do we usually mean by that? Yeah, Matthew. I think we expect that Right. I don't know what to say is code for, I don't know how to make it better. Right? Because that's what, so what we, what we go into it thinking is that's the goal. My goal is to fix this, and if I don't know how to fix it, I should just keep my mouth shut. And, and, and fix it can be several things. One is maybe fix the circumstances or uh, just make the person like um, feel better right, in the midst of those circumstances. But I don't think trying to fix it is comfort. <laughs> Well, I'm going to just close in prayer with that. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I think you're right. Um, and I think that's what we need to remember beforehand. I, I, I do want to put a couple things in place before we get there because that's exactly right. I think what we often think is needed is the opposite of what's needed. What we think is needed is fix the circumstances, distract them, uh, cheer them up, um, or whatever, and and I want to challenge that. But to get there, I want to ask a few other questions. Let me inter- interject the thing. Going through grieving and mourning, sometimes it's better for someone to say the wrong thing <laughs> at the right time than to say nothing at all. Because when you say nothing at all, it's like you don't care yeah. if this person died or you're hurting and that type of thing. I've had a lot of good comfort from this church, um, from pastor down to pew people, and it's built really good. There are some who haven't said squat, but that hurts worse than, you know, than saying the wrong thing. Like, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. No, you don't. You've been married to someone for over 50 years, almost 51 years. You don't know. Right. It's not the same as using losing a brother or sister or a parent. It's not the same. No. But not saying anything is even more very painful. Yeah. Yeah. That silence. We have, we need to understand that silence is worse than the wrong thing or the right thing wrongly or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So it's uncomfortable. It's scary. So why in the world does God command us to do something that is uncomfortable and fear-inducing? Because we're to be Christ-like. Because, okay, because we're to be 
because God does it. Like we start there, right? Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. This is, this is the Messiah. This is previewing the, the lips of the Messiah, right? He, the Lord has anointed me, set me apart, uh, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Because this is something God does. God binds up the brokenhearted. He cares for the hurting, right? This is something love does. Um, John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, right? Uh, the second and great commandment is love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? First uh, Corinthians thirteen four. love is patient, love is kind. It does not insist on its own way. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Right? Love drives us into the fray. So if we know that God is commanding us to do something that is hard and scary and uncomfortable, what does our confidence need to be going into it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. Thank you, yeah. First, uh, Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Good. What else? And, and, and here, I'm not simply talking about what you're going to say. I'm saying, what does your confidence need to be if you're going to go into a painful and uncomfortable and scary situation? What do you need to be convinced of? I'm not talking about what you need to convince the other person of. <laughs> That's not the first problem. The first problem is, what do you need to believe if you're going to go into that situation? God has called you to do it, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and 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 don't downplay the end of that verse. What do we specifically need to have our eyes open to? The hope, right? Um, there's another verse that I know means a lot to Gary, and it's it's First Thessalonians four thirteen. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, that those who are asleep, those who passed away, we don't want you to be uninformed about this, he says, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. In other words, it doesn't take away the pain, the grief. He says we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. In fact, Gary shared with me a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that's based on this verse, um, that just meditates on the reality and the pain of grief and, and the reminder of, of our hope in the midst of it, um, we have to be convinced that, that we're not going into something that's fatalistic, 
that we, that we, that we have no hope, that, that the person we're going in has no hope. And again, I, I'm not trying to get into how we state that. I'm just simply trying to say that has to be our confidence. that we are accompanied by a God who is greater than our suffering. I think we have to be convinced of a few other things as well. But that's the first, is that we, we grieve as people with hope. We suffer as people with hope. Will? Okay. Okay, fill that in. I'm not uh, to know that we're not going to do that, or to be okay. Okay. Uh, can I word this back to you? I think this is what you're saying. We need to trust that God can even, that God can work regardless of how perfect we are, that we're not going to break something that God wants to fix. Okay. I agree. That's absolutely. We, our confidence has to be not in ourselves, but God's ability to use us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think... Um, I'd, I'd like to two other things that I think we need to be confident of. One is suffering is not proof that God has abandoned us, and this is this is bad theology in some quarters of the church, and it is a cancer. Um, that when somebody visits somebody in a hospital room and says, "Well, you just got to figure out what sin. Why is God so angry at you?" That is not the Bible. Romans eight. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Suffering is evidence that we are God's children, not proof that we are not. Right? Um, Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. How like, we are most confident of God's presence with us in the valley of the shadow of death, not outside it. Um, Psalm 147, verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. This, this has to be our confidence when we go in that, that, this, that God is with not just us, but the person we're going to comfort, and, and that, that suffering is not a proof of abandonment. Quite the opposite. And again, I I keep saying this, but there's a reason for that. What you go in with confidence doesn't necessarily mean what you are just going to start spouting out. But you need to be confident that God uses suffering for our good. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. That we need to know that suffering shapes us to be more like Jesus. James 1, verses 2 through 4, says the exact same thing. This is a repeated theme. And so um, uh, Romans and James even use that language of, of joy. And it's not joy in the suffering, but joy in the confidence that God can use our hardest moments to produce the best. 
in us. And I think any of us who have been there know that that's true. Um, If we forget those things, it becomes all that much harder to enter in, to go, because we're not seeing affliction the way God does. We just see it as an impediment to, to to be dealt with rather than actually maybe something the Lord is using in, in, in that person's in our lives. Um, so those are the things we need to be confident of, that, that um, uh, God has not abandoned us, suffering helps us grow, and, and that we don't, we don't suffer without hope. Um, and really, it, it, more than anything, that should be a help to, to battle our fears and our discomfort as we as we go in. You see, what we believe going into a situation like that is every bit as important as, as what the person we're going to talk to believes. Okay. So the question we have to ask is, how do we do it? Matthew. Weep with those who weep. I think, too, it helps to have God's word in your mind mm-hmm. before you approach something like that. John mentioned yesterday Psalm 139. And there's so much, uh, so much hope and comfort in that. Mm. So many psalms are like that. They address our fears. They, they comfort us. Absolutely. So maybe that's the reason why we don't do it. It's because we're really not in God's word enough to have that confidence as much as we would like at the moment when it's popped up. Yeah. Um, I, or at least we believe that. Like we think, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a counselor. I'm not. We we give ourselves a way out because we focus on our inadequacies rather than our adequacies, which is Christ is in me. And his word is in my heart. Maybe not perfectly, but it's there. Um, yeah. Does, does God give us any examples to follow? I and mean, we said earlier that we do this because we want to be Christ-like because he comforts the hurting. So does God give us any examples, a model to follow? <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So, what are some of the things that we're going to say? Well, I think one of the, the most intimate things we can discover is uh, Christ's final conversation with his disciples. Mm-hmm. Personal time with just eleven, the twelfth had been removed. Mm-hmm. It was just the eleven, and he opened up his heart to his father, so we were able to see. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is, God gave us his children to Jesus Christ. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, John's John's saying, read John 17. John 17, Christ's prayer after um, uh, the betrayal, after after Judas leaves, at least to betray him. And, um, yeah, so you have the upper room discourse, John 14, 15, and 16. And then, and then Judas leaves, and then Jesus opens, pulls back the veil, and lets his disciples hear his prayer in that moment. And that's very insightful into to God's heart in those dark moments. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Other, yes, Brittany. Mm-hmm. Um, usually God's comfort for us is um, accompanied by some sort of recitation of history or mm. promises. Right. Repeating those to y- remind each other that God's faithfulness. Right. Yeah, sometimes to, to be able to focus on... Uh, you know, right. Brittany says, you know, talk, that, that comfort in the Bible often looks at, at past, um, God's past faithfulness and his future promises. And, 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 but it always does that in a beautiful way, not so as to ignore the present. Not say, oh, don't worry about that. Think about this, right? But to say, look at this in light of the God who we know does things. And, and that's a beautiful reminder of how scripture handles that. It's, yeah. Katie. Yeah, yeah. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. He 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 wept with them. Absolutely. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, um, instructing from the scriptures in the right way is a beautiful thing, right? In other words, it's interesting that sometimes um, uh, you think telling people that it's God's design for us to suffer would just make them angry. Why, you know, but sometimes it's like, oh, that, so I'm not outside his will. Actually, it, done with sensitivity, not like, why are you whining? You know God wants us for you. I mean, that, that's not comfort. But in the sense of, God has told us that this world, this life will be filled with, with pains and griefs, is, is sometimes that beautiful reminder, okay, so, so it doesn't mean I'm suffering alone. It doesn't mean I'm outside his will. It doesn't mean he's abandoned me. 
even if I don't understand exactly why or like the fact, it gives me a context at which, because a lot of times the fear that people are dealing with in the midst of grief is, is God angry? Has he cast me off, right? And, and, and I think that's the first model that the Lord gives us, right? Psalm 22, 24. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard him when he cried out. The first thing that, that God models for us is he doesn't avoid it. He doesn't, he doesn't hide. And I think that's something we need to remember because sometimes, oh, we often hide. I get it. That's, that's the temptation. I, I fight. I battle that. That's, that's a real temptation. But here, here Psalm 22 is telling me that's not what God does. God never hides. Right? Uh, he joins in weeping, as Katie said. Um, Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit himself helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how, what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. The Lord doesn't hide. The Lord joins in weeping, and the Lord intercedes. Praise. I think that's the model. Maybe I'm missing something, but those are the three things that come to mind when I think about how the Lord addresses suffering. Doesn't hide. Joins in weeping and intercedes. That's the model. I really... um, welcome any other thoughts. There might be some other things that you can think of that the Lord does. But uh, Aaron? Yeah. Right. Compassion. Shows compassion. Which means, come on, you Latin experts. Calm. Like Spanish cone. Huh? With. Good. And passion. Huh? Suffering. Suffering. Yeah, compassion means to suffer with. Yeah. When To enter in suffer with. So how do we follow that model? Well, the first thing you do is you don't hide. Ignore. Right. Yeah, so John says, keeping the big things in mind, not the little things. If, and he's quoting uh, Hebrews 12, which we looked at last week. Jesus, for the joy set before him, dealt with the pain. Um, and I'm going to quote that again today. Because that has to do with the parable we're going to look in Luke. Um, but that, that 
keeping our focus on the on the, the big things, the things that matter, helps us to to deal with little things like discomfort. Yeah. 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 So when you've suffered, what has meant the most to you? God's word. Good. God's word. Okay. Yeah. Those reminders that uh, from you know God's word to have God's word, and those reminders that you belong to the Lord. Good. What have other people done that meant something to you? If we're asking what we can do for others, let's ask ourselves, what have others done for us that meant a lot? Matthew? Mm-hmm. Yeah, presence. Being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was their best. That was Job's comforters at their best when they sat with him and didn't say a word. Because we're not going to know exactly what to yeah. say all the time. Yeah, absolutely. We have a little bit here, a little bit there, but we're not God. Yeah. Yeah. Solitude is one of life's greatest pains. What is, like, the, the worst form of torture we've come up with? Solitary confinement. Um. But being alone is a physical state of being, but with Jesus we know we're not. We're not. But it feels not good, really. You're right, but, but we also want to remember how the Lord ministers to us. He often ministers us through people. You know, we're stodgy reformed folk, right? We don't believe that we walk down the street and the Lord has this running dialogue with us. But we do believe the Lord speaks to us. And so, but that's why we come to church because we want to hear the Lord speak into our lives through somebody that we don't, we don't disconnect the ministry of the body to the Lord's ministry to us. And one of the Lord ways the Lord shows his presence with us is by sending people to be present with us. And so we don't... So you're right. We're not alone when we're alone because the Lord is with us. But we don't want to use that to say, I don't need to visit them because Jesus is with them. So, so we want to keep those things in balance. Yeah. And sometimes people will say, thank you for coming over. I need to be alone now. And we need to respect that. We need to not say, no, you don't. I'm not leaving. I mean, but, but, but we do want to help be the tangible hands and arms of the Lord. Yeah. And so I, I agree. I just want to keep that all in its context. Um, Mm-hmm. Cards bring presents, right? Paul said, yeah. No, they do. Yeah. yeah. It's like someone's thinking about me. Absolutely. They've been through this and they 
Right, right. Yeah, the first thing is showing up, and that might be a phone, a card. Prefer it's not a text, but, you know, it's still something, yeah. Well, the card was nice because I dug it out a couple of times. Yeah, so yeah. And, and, and that's a biblical model. When Paul sends an epistle, a letter to the church, he says, though I'm absent in the body, I'm present by the Spirit. And he, and he doesn't just mean, you know, in well wishes. Like, he sends his presence through the letter. I'm there among you. Yeah, and there's, there's a joy there. And you bring it back out, and you read it, and you read it. Um, but just showing up is, is one of the ways. Um, and, and, and sometimes sharing your own story is good. Don't take over. Don't, don't take over and be like, you know, don't talk to me about your pain. But sometimes entering in and saying, um, this does remind me of this grief. What that says is you are not alone in your pain. You're not the only one who has suffered and... Uh, again, not I understand exactly what you're going through. Not I've gone through exactly the same thing. But sometimes we feel like we're the only ones suffering when we suffer. And knowing other people suffer too gives us a sense of not being alone in it. Um, yes. Right. Right. Yeah, and so so another thing is is praying, and, and that means praying with that person, but also praying for that person. You know, it, it's one thing when you don't leave the room without saying, can I pray for you? But what's really powerful, anybody ever had somebody, you have a conversation with somebody, and a week later they say, how are you doing? I've been praying for you this week. Ever had anybody do that? And you're thinking, you didn't forget about me, but you went before the throne of grace this week on my behalf, and you it's, it's a beautiful feeling. Um, and so that is a wonderful, it's not, not just praying with, but for that intercession, like the spirit intercedes for us in our weakness. We intercede for one another in our weakness and and to be able to come up and say, I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. Um, love you, you know, is, is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Um, what kind of comfort doesn't help? You know what you need to do. You know what you need to do. Okay, good. Instructions, right? Get over it. Get over it. Buck up. The nice pat on the back, okay? Um, trite encouragements. Keep a stiff, stiff upper lip. Don't let it get you down. Tomorrow will be better, right? Um, or distractions. This is, I've I've shared this before. I'm sure I'll share it again. This became so clear to me when my grandma passed away. Every time she talked about my grandpa, she cried, so people just tried to distract her. Doesn't help. And I get it. I fall into that. I'm not... I, I think it does when you allow the other person to lead it. Which is different from saying, I, you're, you want to talk about Laurelin and I'm going to distract you. Versus we've talked about Laurelin for a while and you want to now talk about a hobby. Okay, I can talk about a hobby with you. There's, 
if, if the person you're talking to is looking for a distraction, you follow that lead versus... I, 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 that's how I would say that. Maybe. Okay. Um, the Bible commands us to lament at life's pains. But we often refuse to. And when you try to avoid lament, you're saying that, that pain isn't really painful or, or, or sin hasn't really ravaged the world. Um, and this is my tendency. I'm not, I'm not saying this like I've got it figured out. I just at least know enough to know my sin. And that's that I, I try to hide from life's laments because they're painful and uncomfortable and I'm weak and I need to learn to lament. And, and um, I've talked about this a few times. We talked about it um, in one of the Psalms and, and a lot of people are like, yeah, I just needed to hear that. And I think I, it struck a chord. Um, we do need to learn to lament. Um, and that's why Jesus wept with Mary and Martha. And I think Matthew was the one at the beginning and quoted uh, Romans twelve fifteen, weep with those who weep. The Lord just tells us uh, to lament with them. Um, we don't need to uh, just distract or, or try to fix it. That's not what the Lord tells us to actually do. The Lord tells us to actually weep, which is the most scary and painful thing of all. And I, it, I, it terrifies me, but I know it, I need to do it better. I know I need to learn. Um, and so that's the thing is, 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 is people, some, that, going back to where we began, people often say, I wouldn't know what to say. That's okay. You, because what, what you're, you're, you're probably thinking in that moment is, I don't know what to say to make it better. And the answer is, well, there's nothing you could say to make it better, so don't try. <laughs> Versus, I could sit there silently like Job's comforters for seven days um, at their best, right? Um, I, I can give a couple practical thoughts. Um, don't be afraid to say things like, that must be so hard. That gives people freedom to feel the pain they're already feeling. Um, don't distract, but tell me about the person you're missing. I don't mean to keep picking on you, but you, you love to talk about Laura Lynn, and with good reason. Why would we ever stop you? Laura Lynn's story is so worth hearing. It's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sharing your own griefs in the appropriate way. Um 
is just a way to say I, I'm. It's hard. Absolutely. And God knows so much better than we do. You know one of the scariest psalms to read to somebody who's just lost their wife? Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Terrifying to read that to somebody. And do you know what Kloss asked me to read at Wilma's funeral? That passage. God knows so much better than I do. Like, I think, how could I possibly read this to a grieving widow, widower? And, and the widower says, can you read this to me? <laughs> God knows so much better than I do. Scripture is beautiful. Yeah. Okay, I've gone long. Uh, I appreciate your interaction. The encouragement here is simply, um, talk. Don't leave the person alone. Um, and, and sometimes it, it only needs to be a couple minutes just to say, I'm thinking about you and praying for you. You don't always have to be the person who goes and sits for hours. Maybe you are, but maybe you're not. But, but just saying, I love you, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, or tell me about the person you've lost, tell me about your pain, tell me about your fears so I know how to pray, just gives freedom to be real. And then listen. Those are, those are my thoughts. Um, I'm sure there are much better thoughts out there but I just thought we'd have a conversation today. So thanks for indulging me. Let's pray. Our mighty and glorious and comforting God, we thank you that you have not left us alone, but you enter into our pain with us. That we do not grieve as those without hope. Help us to remind people of your presence by, by sharing ours. Help us to weep together and lament together and to hope together, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.